welcome to Her, the Health Equity and Reflection Podcast, an AMWA and C. Carter Fellowship production, where we hope to inform and uplift female changemakers in global health. This is a production of the Anne C. Carter Global Health Fellows. All views and opinions are those of the individuals and not AMWA itself. Thank you for tuning in to this fireside chat episode of Her, the Health, Equity, and Reflection podcast. In this episode, you'll hear an interview with an inspirational leader in global health, their origins, current projects and initiatives, and advice that they'd give their younger self. Hi, everyone. My name is Jay Cho, and I'm currently a, a, an MS1 at the University of California Davis School of Medicine and in my second year of the Ann C. Carter Global Health Fellowship. Today, I have the honor of getting to speak with Dr. Virginia Byron, Adolescent Medicine Fellow at Columbia University. Virginia Byron is a board-certified pediatrician graduating from Tulane in 2020. I had the privilege of meeting Dr. Byron during the year following her graduation from residency when she worked as a rural primary care physician with ARC Health and, and as a postdoctoral research fellow in the Pediatric Tuberculosis Epidemiology Group through the Department of Global Health and Social Medicine at Harvard Medical School. She is now an Adolescent Medicine Fellow at Columbia University, and her clinical practice encompasses primary care, eating disorders, sexual health and reproductive health, gender-affirming care, and mental health care. She approaches the health of her patients and the communities in which she practices within the frameworks of reproductive justice and health equity. Her scholarly work focuses on community-based, youth-driven participatory approaches to research. And Dr. Byron also has an extensive advocacy experience um, with a focus on dismantling structural racism within the healthcare system. And she has served on, um, in leadership roles with the Social Medicine Consortium's Campaign Against Racism. Thank you so much for joining us today. And we would love to hear in your own words what your involvement in global health looks like. And if you don't mind, um, if you could tell us a little bit about your journey to where you are now. Hi, Jade. Thank you so much for having me. It's such an honor. Um, <clears throat> Jade and I go way back in our, in our <laughs> mentorship relationship. Um, mm -hmm. And I, I def definitely um, want to talk about um, the nature of, of mentorship and these types of relationships later on. But they're definitely bi-directional. I've learned so much um, from you, Jade. So thanks for having me on. Um, my background in global health goes back to when um, I was applying to medical schools and I knew I was interested in uh, kind of a public health approach um, to medicine. And um, I was always interested kind of in, in social determinants of health, although I didn't have a, you know, the words for it at the time and interested in how the conditions of people's lives and communities and society as a whole um, impact health and, um, and wellness. And I, I applied to my medical school um, that I ended up going to, medical school for international health. Um, and I was really drawn to their, to their definition of global health, which was really public health without, um, without borders, essentially. And mm -hmm. so um, I, that's, I ended up going to a global health medical school where I was surrounded by people who were interested in global health and people who um, were there for, for the adventure and liked traveling. <laughs> and um, we, you know, talked about all the different ways to engage in global health and um, learned from alumni and our faculty. Um, so that was really the, the water that um, I've been, I've been swimming in since the beginning of my medical career. And then 
um, in, in my pediatric residency in New Orleans at Tulane, um, I became really involved in, with community organizing, um, community, with community members in New Orleans and learned so, so, so much from um, amazing community organizers who were active and really getting a lot done um, to improve conditions of, of people's lives and, um, and dismantling race, racist structures um, in New Orleans. Um, and so from there, it's like a windy path. Um, but since then in fellowship, um, uh, I have actually started working in, in Tanzania in a city called Mwanza um, in a partnership um, a hospital there that's uh, um, Bugando Medical Center, um, the medical school it's partnered with, with Cornell, Wild Cornell Hospital here. Um, and I'm planning to uh, be there next year. I'm working on a youth participatory action research project, um, looking at the transition of care from pediatric to adult care for teenagers with sickle cell disease, mm -hmm. um, which I'm really excited to be involved with. And We'll also be doing some adolescent medicine teaching there as well. And I'm happy to delve further into any one of those things um, as we continue this conversation. Yes, of course. Thank you so much for sharing that with us. Um, I'd love to hear a little bit more about um, your expertise and your interest in adolescent medicine and how that um, fits into a global health perspective. Mm, that's such a good question. So uh, throughout my um, medical school experience and residency, uh, it became clear to me that the patients I, who really stuck with me are the stories um, that I, I couldn't forget and, and, and the names that I remember and the people I really enjoyed connecting mm -hmm. with um, were teenagers. Um, and so that's kind of how I first started thinking about adolescent medicine. And um, part of my drive to go into pediatrics as well was, think, was a kind of a preventive public health um, approach to preventing non-communicable diseases. Um, mm -hmm that uh, you know, are, are plaguing a lot, of, um, a lot of the world and are a, a bigger and bigger part of global health work as well um, as we kind of experience this transition um, in global health work from um, infectious disease to non-communicable mm -hmm. diseases. Um, and so I felt like adolescence is it's a really, really important time for intervening and establishing lifelong health behaviors. Um, mm -hmm. it's, you know, young people's first interactions with the healthcare system on their own and establishing um, habits, healthy habits, and um, uh, kind of addressing those risk factors, but also uh, empowering them at this stage to take control um, over their health and to be involved um, in improving their communities. And so I just, I really, really enjoy working with this population and with all the um, different challenges and, um, and wonderful things that that, that brings. So uh, that's where my interest in adolescent health comes from. And I'm just really enjoy doing the work that I'm doing now clinically. Um, and could you tell us a little bit more about um, how that interest um, kind of fits into your global health work? I know you um, mentioned a little bit about your work in Tanzania. Yeah, so um, adolescent health is really, a, important um it's central topic in, in, in global health work um mm -hmm. it's a um, adolescents are you know comprise a huge population across the world and in particular when i was um working with with you jade and um, around the, the same time when we were um i was looking at adolescent tuberculosis and how in in adolescence that's kind of a um 
a, a period of increased um, in new infection and infectivity mm. for tuberculosis. And um, it, when it comes to HIV also, for example, um, that's where a lot of, you know, the majority of the new, new infections um, are occurring. And so it's really, really an important um, part of, of reducing disease burden worldwide is, is understanding teenagers, where they're coming from, what their lives are like. Mm -hmm. um, and so I think having an adolescent medicine clinical perspective in global health work is, is crucial. Um, mm -hmm. And my work so far in, in fellowship, my research work in fellowship has been looking at um, uh, the transition of care and primary care for, um, for healthy young adults and how do people get disconnected from primary care and then reconnected back into, or from pediatric primary care and reconnected back into adult primary care um, in their early 20s and late teens. Um, and so I'm kind of applying that work that I've been doing here in New York City and Washington Heights to um, this uh, part of Tanzania that actually has one of the highest rates, if not the highest rate of, of mm -hmm. uh, sickle cell anemia in the world. Um, and where the population of, of patients with sickle cell is aging, thanks to a lot of um, excellent work um, in screening and in treatment and access to, to care and treatment um, in that part of the world. And so it's kind of, a, it's an emerging, it's a good problem to have an emerging problem as this transition um, from pediatric to adult care for adolescents with sickle cell. And there's kind of a, a collision of, of social factors and progression of disease that happens in, in adolescence um, with sickle cell, where there's really a need for increased support and an um, intentional approach to transition of care that involves, that really centers young people and, and what mm -hmm. their needs are um, and involves medical teams, both the pediatric side and the adult side and families as well. Um, so we're going to be looking into um, exactly what what that looks like, what the components of a transition mm -hmm. program um, need to be. Um, and uh, yeah. Virginia, I'm always so inspired by your passion. And I think that's, you know, kind of one of the reasons I've always appreciated you so much as a mentor. Okay. To the importance of mentorship. And I was wondering if you could elaborate a little bit on that. Yeah, thank you, Jada. That's a, it's something I've been thinking a lot about <laughs> recently. And um, I definitely have learned from you um, and how to put together a mentorship team. I think you do a really great job at that. And I've also been reflecting on how being a mentee is not, um, you know, is a, is a skill that requires work as well. And I think being a mentor, something comes a little bit more naturally to me and being a mentee mm -hmm. is something that I've been, I'm, working on and I think that you are very good at <laughs> um, and so that's yeah it, it's really a bi-directional relationship one of my research mentors in fellowship um, Dr. Melanie Gold uh, always tells me that she you know it's a bi-directional relationship and she gets a lot out of um, out of mentoring she learns mm -hmm. about the the topics that I'm interested in and um, you know it's not just a one-way street at all. Mm -hmm. um, I think it's really, I think that you, I think you really hit the nail on the head when you use the word team, like it's really about finding a mentorship or pulling together, compiling a mentorship team. So finding mm -hmm. people who, you know, it's, it's, you know, rare, I think to find someone who's, mm -hmm. or if not, you know, if not impossible to find someone who's doing exactly what you want to do in yeah. all components of your career and life. So mm -hmm. I think it's important to find 
you know, a clinician mentor whose work you really admire in the clinical sphere, um, a life mentor who's maybe the, the, maybe their family or personal life resembles the one that, that you hope to have, um, mm -hmm. research mentors, global health mentors. Um, I also recommend um, finding a community mentor. Uh, in, in my case, it was community community organizers um, and really, really wonderful um, uh, kind of nourishing relationships that I that I um, developed through doing that work in residency. Um, yeah, so I think it, it it requires work to be a mentee, and I think some of that is, you know, being vulnerable and um, being open to mentorship and asking questions and and being open about where your gaps are and what you need help with um, so that someone can can help can you know offer you advice in the, in the way that's most helpful to you. Thank you so much. Um, I'm going to transition a little bit um, since now we've talked a little bit about where you got to where you are now. Um, could you tell us a little bit about what your day-to-day -day practice looks like both clinically and in global health? Yeah, so as a, a fellow, I'm in my um, third and final year of my adolescent medicine fellowship. Um, it's three years coming from pediatrics, um, and I'm really transitioning more. I have a bit more research time. We're about 50-50 research and clinical, and that's um, in my kind of in my day-to-day, -day, like it, in my week, my time is about 50-50 research and clinical. So I have um, two sessions of clinic um, right now, plus kind of um, extra elective clinical time. I'm um, working on my uh, long-acting re reversible contraceptive skills. So I'm um, training an IUD placement right now, um, spending a lot of time doing that. Um, and then the rest of the time is clinical, administrative. I'm on call um, right now, actually, taking consults <laughs> in the hospital for the adolescent medicine service. Um, and then writing, trying to uh, finish up and write and submit my fellowship project um, that I've been working on for the last couple of years, uh, the transition of care for, um, for healthy um, young adults in primary care, and um, applying for grant funding for next year <laughs> to do this work in Tanzania, and um, have some other projects that I'm working on with, um, with other collaborators and uh, applying to, you know, to submit, submitting things to our, um, international conference coming up in the spring. So, you know, everything all at once, everywhere. <laughs> <laughs> so that sounds very busy, but hopefully very fulfilling. Um, you know, being a woman in global health has its own set of challenges. Um, what has your experience looked like and how have you navigated this journey? I've been really lucky to be in spaces um, where a lot of the people around me and in, in particular the leadership um, have been women. I think that's mm -hmm. um, becoming more and more common in medicine. It's definitely very common in pediatrics, um, which has been really a great space for me to become a doctor in. Um, I think in research and in global health that the balance is a little bit different and, you know, I'm always looking for, um, for mentors in in researching and global health work. Um, but we're out there. <laughs> it's not, it's not, um, you know, it's not impossible to find. And, and I think women should play and, and do play a huge role in, in global health work in particular because so many of the challenges um, 
in, in Global Health Center on women globally and inequities um, involved, you know, sex and gender inequities um, worldwide. And I think it's really, really important to have women in global health doing, doing that work and, and being involved. Um, and I mean, I, I, I'm a new-ish parent now, <laughs> Jade, as you know, having done a little bit of babysitting for us. <laughs> um, and so I can speak as a woman who is also a mother um, and how that has really, really been a huge challenge. Um, luckily, I'm with a, a partner who also is doing global health work and that's been it's really, um, you know, th that allows us as a family to travel together and we're working in the mm -hmm. same places. And, um, but I think it would be, you know, it's definitely a challenge. <laughs> There's no easy answer. Um, and there are a lot of considerations around planning the like timing of a family and, and those kinds of things um, around uh, travel and, and working in another country um, that are, that are definitely consequential um, decisions and, and things to think about for people who are planning on having families. Um, another question that I had for you is um, what advice do you have for someone at the medical school level looking at a career in global health and what about a career in medicine? Yeah, I would say there are so many options. And I think as you get further along in your training, um, the world opens up to you a little bit more. Um, everyone's kind of doing the same, the same rotations, the same preclinical work in medical school. Um, and then as you move into residency and then your next steps, whether that's fellowship or, or not, um, from there you're, you have more and more degrees of freedom, um, degrees of freedom and, um, and options to do what you want. I think there are an infinite number of paths. So mm -hmm. be creative, be open-minded, um, take advantage of opportunities, definitely jump in feet first to, to things that seem like they might be an adventure and might be a little bit scary <laughs> and, and, um, uncertain, but that's where, you know, my most, um, formative and rewarding experiences have, have mm -hmm. come from kind of jumping into the unknown. Amazing. Um, and I think it's important to recognize how hard you work and how amazing you are at what you do. Um, what inspires you to continue to do the work that you're doing? Thanks, Jane. I appreciate that. <laughs> um, definitely a lot of my inspiration comes from my clinical work, um, mm -hmm. talking to my patients, hearing about their lives. Um, I really love having those conversations. And I think if I were to transition into um, you know, more of a research career, then I still, still definitely want to have one, one foot in, in, in the clinic, um, mm -hmm. learning, learning from my patients and um, hearing about what, you know, what their experiences are and what their needs are. Because um, that's really what inspires my, my other work. Yeah. Great. I, I want to give you a chance to speak to what you're passionate about, whether it be a call to action or a quote you live by or some topics in global health that you'd like to bring attention to. Um, what message would you like to leave us with? Mm, I definitely want to bring attention to um, this concept of youth participatory action research, which is part of um, community-based participatory research, which is mm -hmm. um, an approach to research, and it um, comes from the public health world, that centers 
community members in as experts in their own communities and what the needs are and what the relevant and important pressing questions are. Um, for me, I, I was drawn to this approach to research um, from my background in community organizing. And I found that it seemed to me like a um, kind of this perfect melding of the academic world and community organizing world and a great way, especially in global health work to distribute resources and to really make sure that we're um, having an impact with our, with our research. Um, I'm not someone who has a lot of patience to see, you know, to like wait for the impact of, of a paper that I've published and to kind of, you know, hope and, and assume that at some point it's going to change things. I kind of need to, in order to keep going on this, I need to see it um, have some impact right away. And in particular with youth participatory action research, um, there's a focus on capacity building through the work. So in the, um, in the, fellowship uh, project that I've um, been working on, we hired a youth, uh, a youth research leader, and they got trained um, in, you know, they got their IRB training and got training in research methods through, through the project. And if that's really all the impact that we have with this, like, I'm happy with it. Like we, <laughs> I, I think um, there's, I, I think it's a great way to, to engage um, and to conduct research um, and the Society for Adolescent Health and Medicine through the Journal of Adolescent Health, just in this past um, issue of the journal, um, put out a call for more youth participatory research, um, particular in global health, in reducing um, global health um, uh, inequities and specifically with a focus on adolescent health. So I would encourage everyone to be thinking about how they're engaging the community in their research and in particular young people because they have so much to offer um, and they are the future. Not to sound <laughs> cliche, but it's true. <laughs> Dr. Byron, it means so much that you made the effort to be here with us today. Thank you so much. Um, we have so much to learn from you. I know I've learned so much for you, from you throughout the few years that we've known each other and um, I can't wait to follow along as your career continues to expand. Likewise, Jane. I'll say the same thing about you. Thank you. Thank you so much.